Good morning. I'd like to give a special welcome to all of uh, Harry's family and friends that have come out to join us. Um, sorry, Scott, I saved it for this morning when he had to share time. Um, Harry was a true brother in the Lord, and myself is growing up here. And looking up to him, he was not only a dear brother in the Lord, but he was my elder. And he was one that scheduled people to speak. And he was one that I, I felt confident to go to and to talk to. And he's really going to be missed. He was, he was a, a special man. I loved to get him to laugh. When he laughed, that was uh, a good time. But uh, I'd like to extend a special welcome and, uh, and a tribute to Harry. He, we're really going to miss him. He's, he was uh, a real testimony here. So it's nice to... Uh, to have known him, and I'm sure all of you, the family and everyone here, I'm sure you feel the same way, to have such a man in your life, and I wouldn't be the same today if it wasn't for Harry, and this is the way the church operates, none of us would be the same without each other and how we influence one another and impact one another's lives. In a few minutes here, well, maybe like half hour, 45 minutes, we're going to have a baptism that's going to take place behind me. And if you see me disappear, then I can swim. <laughs> Don't throw me a rescue line or anything. But uh, we're going to have a baptism. This is a special time. It's a special event. Because we get to witness the testimony of someone that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a follower of Christ. That has come to make a pro public proclamation that they believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. He, that he was buried and he rose three days later victorious and to show that they live in newness of life and that they have been identified with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. So what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning is walking in newness of life and for each one of us to examine ourselves and how we walk. God has done a tremendous work in each one of us if you are a Christian. He has done a surgery within you that is unique and special to make you able to walk in this world, to deal with the sinful nature, to deal with the, 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 the lost all around you, and to be victorious in Christ Jesus. In other words, God has changed individuals to such extremes that drug addicts can walk away and never touch drugs again. Alcoholics can walk away from alcohol of, life, of years of drinking and never take another sip out of the bottle. You know, we think of and we read in the New Testament of the miracles that Jesus did, the physical miracles, where He made the lame to walk, the blind to see. That He healed leprosy, He did all these, these things, and really, that's an easy miracle. The greatest miracle is when God changes the heart of an individual. When he takes a sinner that is filled with a sinful nature, that is bent on sin, that is blinded by this world, that is living in darkness, and he takes this individual and completely transforms them, brings them in as a child of God, and conforms them to the image of Christ to where people will go and lay down their lives for Christ. That's a miracle. Our hearts are so dark and black from the nature that is passed on through Adam, that if God left us to ourselves, we are capable 
of the worst of sins. And if you want to see how bad the sinful nature really is, just turn on the news. You'll see the murders, the killings, mothers turning on their own children, husbands killing their wives and beating their wives, the abuse of drugs. We could go on and on. You just turn on the news and see this, that sin is real. And sin destroys. Destroys families, homes. It's a real thing today. And it breaks our heart. It breaks the Lord's heart. He doesn't like to see people suffer. But God has given us everything we need in Christ Jesus to live victorious and to live a life that is pleasing towards Him. And to put off the sins of the flesh. He has given us eternal life. And this life is not only for duration, because everyone's going to uh, exist forever. The believer is going to be in heaven with God forever. The unbeliever will be in an eternal torment forever. So everyone's going to exist forever, but it's the quality of life. It's the life that we know God and we fellowship with Him. And all the goodness, the love, the peace, the happiness, everything that God is, we enjoy on a day-by-day basis. And this eternal life is not something that we're going to obtain only in the future, but it's something you experience right now. Where we know Christ Jesus. We know God and we walk intimately with Him. And we view His glory. We view God and He changes us. What we're going to get on to, and if you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, what we're going to focus on is that... Those that are in Christ are a new creation. We are unique. God has done something within us. As you're turning there, I'm going to share a little story with you that many of you are familiar with. But just to show the power of the gospel. That the gospel is able to save to the uttermost. And it's not only to save you from the penalty of sin but to save you from the power of sin, from sin dominating your life, and to live a life that is pleasing to God, and to live a life with purpose and peace. In 1956, there were four missionaries that many of you are familiar with, and you know, as soon as I mentioned 1956, there was, you know exactly what I'm going to talk about. The four missionaries that were martyred in Ecuador. These four missionaries decided together to try to, to try to reach the Aka Indians who had a reputation for being one of the most violent Indian tribes in Ecuador. These people were violent. They would kill their own family members in a heartbeat. If you had a dispute with one another, they'd just kill. That's what they'd do. Um, they wanted to reach them. They believed, these four men believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ that it could reach into the deepest, darkest jungles of Ecuador and change the lives of these Indians. And they're willing to lay their life on the line. This is what walking in newness of life, this is what a changed life is, is that all of a sudden we begin to view man as God views him. A soul. A soul that needs to know Christ. A soul that needs to get saved. A soul that is going to spend all of eternity in hell if they don't repent of their sins and turn towards God and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. So they begin to reach out to these Indians. They landed on a beach that they could get their plane to land on. They set up their camp. 
They began to communicate with a few of them. They took them up on the airplanes. They would drop things out of the planes to try to reach them. And then one day, because of the ones they were reaching out to, uh, 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 they went back to the tribe and lied about a certain thing. And the tribe came, and to get revenge, they uh, killed these four men. These four men, from what I, I, I've researched and, and seen in documentaries, is they had weapons there. They had guns. They decided not to use them before they went in. They said, we're not going to take their life. They're going to lay down their life for these Indians. These Indians came to them, threw spears through them, brutally killed them, and left them laying there. They found one body down the river. They gave their life for Christ. The story doesn't end there. These four individuals, they hadn't been commissioned by any missionary organization to go to these Indians. They weren't from some particular denomination. These four men just said, we're going to go reach these individuals for Christ. As far as I know, the families at home, when they heard that they were martyred and they were going in, a lot of them didn't even know that they were trying to reach these Indians because of their reputation. Everybody would say, don't, don't go after them. They can't be changed. Their heart cannot be changed. But they believed that they could. Jim Elliott was one of the men, and as you know, a, a, a famous uh, uh, writer and a teacher is Elizabeth Elliot. And now she was there, and I believe her uh, daughter was five years old or so. Um, one of the friends came to her and says, hey, we have one of these Aka Indians that has departed from the tribe, and we're wondering if you wanted to talk to her. She said, yeah, bring her on in. I'll talk to her. And so she began to uh, um, befriend this individual. And then next thing you know, you have another bold individual that believes the gospel can reach these people is uh, Elizabeth Elliot. She goes, let's go in there. Can you take me back to the tribe? The boldness she had to take her little daughter in to these savages. And she went in. She got into the tribe. She began to befriend them. And she began to share the gospel. And then the outreach went out. And individuals begin to get saved. And it's interesting, as you listen to Elizabeth Elliott talk, she would uh, talk to them and say, you know, um, you guys killed my father, or my husband. And really, these people here, that was a way of life for them. They kind of said, well, big deal. They, they, they've all experienced death. They've all lost loved ones. They've all lost uh, cousins, uh, brothers, sisters, Mom, dad, that's just a way of life for them. And it was stated that for five generations, this tribe, and I'm sure there's other ones that are just like them, this is how they resolved their differences, was by killing one another. Five generations. So the death was nothing to them. That, that was a way of life. If you live very old, and then I guess it's survival of the fittest, you're the toughest. But that was a way of life to them. And, and Elizabeth Elliot was a little taken back because... They didn't give her any special treatment because her husband was, uh, was killed. Anyways, as she went on, and you know the story, they, they reached the whole tribe for Christ. And the interesting thing that's documented is this. 
For five generations, you had killings. In one instant, the killings stopped. What changed? Their culture? Education? Jesus Christ came into their life. The gospel of Jesus Christ reached these Indians to where in an instant they're saved, they're transformed. They're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And no longer do they want to kill their brothers. No longer do they want to kill their fellow tribal members. They are a new creation in Christ. And it's an amazing thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it could change the hearts of these savages. And it can change our hearts. And it has changed our hearts. And it can change the hearts of people today that are living in darkness in this world. I want to read... uh, Jim Elliott had a journal that they kept. I want to read some of the entries that he uh, wrote. And one of his entries on October 28, 1949, he expressed his belief that work dedicated to Jesus was more important than life itself. He writes, and this is one that you guys, I'm sure you're familiar with, but that he's famous for. He is no fool who can give, who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He believed that. He gave his life for someone else. Other entry uh, that he made in his journal is one treasure, a single eye and a soul master. God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life and may I burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. Saturate me with the oil of the spirit that I may be aflame. But flame is often short-lived. Canst thou bear this, my soul? Short life. In me there dwells the spirit of the great short-lived, whose zeal for God's house consumed him. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. He also writes, as your life is in his hands, so are the days of your life. But don't let the sands of time get into the eyes of your vision to reach those who sit in darkness. They simply must here. And he writes, I must not think it strange if God takes in youth those whom I, I would have kept on earth till they were older. God is peopling eternity, and I must not restrict him to old men and women. And this last one, the will of God is always a bigger thing than we bargain for. Just a few of his writings and his focus on God, and is this our focus? Is to me to live as Christ, is my whole life about Christ, or it is about me? Is it about my selfish desires? Is it about my passions of life? Is it about my own fame, my own glory, or is it about glorifying God to where I put myself to, to rest and live for Christ? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading in verse 12, takes up this, uh, this concept. And it says in verse 12, it says, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. Verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us. I want you to look at that. The love for the love of Christ compels us. 
Paul is so infatuated with the, the, the love that God has for him that a reasonable service is what? To live your life for God. That love is so great that the Savior died on the cross for his sins. That our reasonable service is to serve God. The love of Christ compels him. This is what drives him. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And if he died for all, that those who live should no longer, <clears throat> that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Can we say that of verse 15 of our, of our, of our own lives? And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves. Are we still living for ourselves? Are we still consumed with what our own desires are? Are we satisfied and consumed with the desires and the viewpoints of God and to live for him and that Jesus died and rose again for you? Verse 16, therefore, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. And verse 17 is our focused verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. To understand this statement is you've got to take the first part in Christ. There's two types of people today. Those that are in Christ and those that are in Adam. You see, as the Bible declares, is we have a federal head that represented us in the Garden of Eden and his name was Adam. And God gave him the responsibility in the Adam and told him to not eat of one particular tree, and he disobeyed God. And thus disobeying God, him and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and death and sin entered into the light, into the life of man, and has spread from Adam all the way on to us. Adam failed us miserably. But if we were in Adam's place, we would have done the same thing. But this is the position that we are in. God knowing this, and us the last Adam, which is Christ Jesus to come and to represent mankind, to go to the cross of Calvary and there take your place on the cross, to pay for every sin that you have committed, past, present, and future, and to pay for the very sin nature of who we are. Every sin was heaped upon him. He was our substitute. But the unique part is, is that in order for you to be in Christ, and to transfer from being in Adam to Christ is you must believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. Because if you're not in Christ, 
then you're still in Adam, and you're still facing the condemnation that is due to you for the penalty and consequences for your sins, that a holy and righteous God must judge sin. God cannot have sin in his presence. Sin offends God. But first John chapter five and verse one reads, Everyone it says, Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot loves him, who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Turn over to verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, then the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Look at verse 12. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. I didn't make this up. This didn't originate from me or from this assembly here or from a particular religion. This has been declared by God himself. This is what God has said. Is that if you have the Son, you have eternal life. If you do not have the Son, then you do not have life. There's two classifications of people. And as you're sitting here this morning... You either have the Son and you have life, or you do not have the Son and you do not have life. And if you do not have the Son, then you are not in Christ, and you face the judgment of a holy and righteous judge who knows the, every thought and every ten of the heart, and he is going to be a righteous judge. He's going to give you what is deserving that you have done. And that is that he's going to cast you in the lake of fire for all of eternity, or you will pay for your sins. It is a real place. It is forever and ever. Never will there be a quench of any uh, suffering. But it's going to be real. But those, God has given an option here. Those who turn towards the Son and repent of their sins and believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. That He went as their substitute. And on those three dark hours when He was lifted up on the cross... God poured out his wrath upon Jesus Christ. Jesus paid for the sins. It was a real payment. Jesus would cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The sins were heaped upon him. The wrath of God was poured out on him. And if we could picture anything of the wrath that he endured for you, is that if you take hell for all of eternity in that intensity and place it upon Jesus Christ for those three dark hours, you can start to see the wrath that was poured out upon him. But Jesus, being both man and God, is able to 
redeem sinners such as us. He's able to not only represent one person, but represent all of mankind. And take all the sins of the world and be heaped upon them. That if we come to him, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If you're not saved this morning, God wants to save you. He's in the business of saving people. He's in the business of changing lives. That's what he wants to do. Every single individual on this earth. It says that God is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish. He created a lake of fire for the devils, for the, the fallen angels and the devil. He wants to save us. He loves us. He's created man in his own image. And he takes sin so serious and his love for you is so great that he would send his only son to this earth to die on the cross of Calvary. Believe me, if there was any other way, I'm sure God would have done it. But he takes sin serious, so we should also. He wants to save souls. And he has provided the way of redemption. But you have to come to him. You have to come and receive him. It's going to be a, a sober time in eternity. And it speaks of the, the great right throne of judgment. Well, I believe as we watch this, there's going to be individuals perhaps sitting here. Perhaps family members. And I hope it's not someone here that we're going to see that just rejected Christ. And the believers are going to stand there with tears in their eyes watching. As the sentence comes down for individuals that we loved on this earth that have rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior. See, God's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on anybody. But he wants to save you. He wants to save you. He wants what's best with you. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants to dwell with you. He wants to live within you. He wants to do mighty things within you. That's what God wants to do. Back to our text in 2 Corinthians here. It says that if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. He is a new creation. God has done something new. And we don't have time to look into it, but if we had time, we would go into the new covenant in which God has made with Israel, the house of Israel, the house, with the house of Jacob. In Galatians 6.15 it says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. God has done something new. The moment that you are born again, something new takes place. And I've already mentioned one thing that takes place, is you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness, from being under Adam as your federal head, to under Christ as your federal head, as your representative. And when you do that, something new takes place. Everything is new. The family of God. I have a list here of some things that, that take place that are new. And um, just to read down a list, it says, We now belong to God. 
We are now spiritually alive. We have a new nature. God dwells within us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are led by the Spirit of God. We possess eternal life. We are now sons and children of God, which you have all the rights and privileges in the family. We have an inheritance. We have access to the Father. The power of God works in us to walk in newness of life. We have instant prayer and access to the most holy place as Christ is our mediator. We have peace and purpose of life. And we can go on and on. And actually in Ephesians chapter 1, 3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And if you read the first chapter of Ephesians, the, 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 it would keep repeating, in Christ, in Christ, all the blessings of being in the position under the umbrella of being in Christ. God blesses us like He would His own Son. He sees us through the eyes of Christ as saints. This is our position in Him. And this new creation that is talking about is the new birth. What ends up taking place is we are born from above. We are given a new nature. And in 2 Peter verse 1 and 4 it says, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. God has given us a divine nature to walk after Him. This nature now within us is different than the old nature. You still have the old nature within you, you have the new nature, and these two are at enmity with each other. The old nature loves to thrive after the flesh and after sin and after selfish desires, the new nature wants to live after God and all the things that God loves and love, peace, joy, all the characteristics of God. This new nature wants to take them on and outshine through us. God has indwelt with us the Holy Spirit who comes on and does this new birth. And then he, he dwells within us and he changes us. We commune with the Spirit day in and day out. In Ezekiel 36, in verse 25 through 26 it says, This I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean, and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of the flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is referring to the new covenant in which we partake of now. You are given a new heart. Your desires are no longer of this world. Your desires are no longer of the things that the worldly people strive after. All of a sudden, once you get saved in your new creation in Christ Jesus, our viewpoint, our, our worldview needs to change. And we start viewing the world as God. And we are now consumed with the things of God and chastening after those things. Let the world have its fame. Let the world have all the money. Let them have everything. It's all emptiness. What matters is that you live for Christ and what you do for Him. When this new birth takes place, in John chapter 7, verses 37, 38 says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This change is so dynamic and so amazing that it doesn't just contain within you. The power of the Holy Spirit within you changes your life 
and rivers flow out for the blessings of other people because they can see the change. You no longer walk after the characteristics of this world. But people should look at us and say, there's a changed individual. So watch the time here. Um, it says here in verse 17, Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This old things that have passed away, what I believe it's talking about here, is that life in, in under Adam has passed away. You are no longer under the curse of Adam. You are no longer, in a sense, under the federal head facing the condemnation of God. But what has, behold, all things have become new is that you are now under the federal head of Christ, of being in Christ. Now the reality is, is we still sin. We still struggle with the sinful nature. But the position we are in is that the, we should practically walk what we positionally hold. Is that we're no longer under Adam, but we're under Christ, so we should follow Christ. We should live for Christ and walk a newness of life. We should live for the brother, and we should live for people. We should lay down our life for each other. All of a sudden, a sinner such as us, we love one another. It's an amazing thing. There's a man by the name of R.C. Chapman, in closing, he lived in the early 1800s. He was one of the early brethren and was uh, labored in uh, England. Barnstaple was his uh, place of where he lived. This individual was not born into a Christian family, but he was one that had his life transformed by the power of the gospel. In this day and age, he came from a wealthy family. He was an attorney by trade, and he made good money. And then one day he got saved. And he got saved. His life changed. The way he viewed life changed. No longer searching to, to satisfy his own pleasures. But now he, he seeks to satisfy his Savior. He is noted of saying something to the effect that he was so worried that he would do something that would bring shame to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was so consumed with Christ People would offer him and say, hey, have you read this book, Mr. Chapman? He'd put his hand on his Bible and say, I haven't finished this book yet. And he would read it. And he would read it. And he would read it. He gave away all his money. He believed God could provide his needs. He gave his money to the poor. He lived amongst the poor. People would say, Mr. Chapman, move out in this outer part. It's a nicer house. I want to be where the people can reach me. A Baptist church asked him to come in and minister. He said, okay, two conditions. Number one, I don't take a salary. God will provide my needs. Number two, I can only preach what's in the word of God. And they agreed. As time progressed, the, the, the meeting there began to grow and to change. And within a year's time, their viewpoint on many issues had changed. And what ended up happening in that Baptist church is that some of the, the, the members that wanted to be true to the, the Baptist denomination said, Mr. Chapman, this is not what the purpose of this building is for. And they had tried to purchase other land, but they were unsuccessful to pick a building. So they came back to him and said, Mr. Chapman, we want this building back. 
He looked in the bylaws, he looked in everything, and nothing said that he had to give it back in the sense, not that he owned it, but that what they, the majority were using it for. Um, we're meeting simply in the name of Christ. But they said, you, this is not true to the Baptist church. So Mr. Chapman, searching the scriptures, this is a man who was simple and just believed the word of God, and he came across Matthew 5.40. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Chapman gave him the building. They bought another piece of property. Everything went through. The sale was final. The Anglican church came to him. Mr. Chapman, we wanted to use this property here to build up a, a, a church for us. Mr. Chapman thinks about it, prays about it with the other saints. Philippians 4 or 5 comes to his mind. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Give them the property. And we can go on and on with Mr. Chapman, who's referred to as an apostle of love. This is a changed life. Let us not live according to our own selfish desires. But as we're going to see here in a few minutes, the testimony that's going to ring out that this individual has been identified with Christ. She is in Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ. And as the world sees her in this public display, is that Jesus Christ is what matters. And not only here, but our life as we go out there. That we are ambassadors for Christ. Let us live for the glory and the honor of him who died for us and represent God. Let's close in prayer. Our gracious God and Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to look into your word, Father. And we are amazed that you will love sinners such as us. And we are amazed that you would send your son to die on the cross for our sins, to take our place, to pay our sins in full. And Father, all you ask is that we come and believe that Jesus died for us. If there's any here, Father, that do not know the Savior, if there's any here that are not in Christ, we pray that they will change that today. Speak to their hearts, Father. We pray and ask your blessings upon this testimony of the baptism, that it will bring glory and honor to you. May each one of us go out into this world. It's a dark world, a Christ-rejecting world, a world that is under the, the dominion of the enemy, May we go forth as good soldiers of Jesus Christ and represent our Savior, that, God, that they might see God in us, a changed life, a new creation in Christ Jesus, that we might walk in newness of life. In the Lord Jesus, we do pray. Amen.